Welcome to Jammin' with Jason Mefford, a show where we discuss topics relevant to chief audit executives and professionals in audit, risk, and compliance. We discuss the technical and soft skills needed to navigate the minefields of organizations. You hear best practices and practical advice for helping you advance your career, and we'll even talk about music, mindfulness, and psychology, because we can. So sit back and relax while you listen to the number one podcast in the world for internal auditors, unscripted and unedited. Welcome to another edition of Jammin' with Jason, a podcast about internal audit and finding some of the practical ways uh, that you can actually apply and run your internal audit department. Now, uh, on this show, of course, we always talk about practical things, and uh, I'm here to talk about the things that you need to hear, not necessarily the things that you want to hear, or even the things that other people are usually talking about. Uh, So what you're going to hear here are some different ideas, uh, but again, they're practical ways to help you uh, in running your internal audit department and your internal audit career. And uh, today is no exception to that. Uh, One of the probably the most challenging things for chief audit executives is constantly having to justify, uh, or what some people call right-sizing, the amount of resources used in internal audit. And so what this means is each year the chief audit executive has to kind of justify the number of people and uh, the budget that they are using uh, with senior executives and the board. Now, um, one of the most common ways for people to be able to do that is benchmarking. And uh, today, what we're going to talk about, I'm going to share with you that benchmarking is really barking up the wrong tree. Uh, It has some serious flaws with it uh, from a kind of an assumption perspective. And uh, we're going to get in and talk a little bit about that. And then I'm going to provide you also with some kind of tips and and a little bit of an outline for you uh, that you can go through and try to think about uh, whether your internal audit department is actually right-sized. Now, why am I talking about this? Um, Because this, like I said, is one of the most common things that chief audit executives struggle with. Um, I talk with uh, chief audit executives all the time about this. And uh, in fact, you know, as, as when I was a chief audit executive, I uh, had to go through this process as well and found it, again, to be one of the most challenging things that I had to do. Now, let's get in and talk a little bit about this. Um, and, and the reason, again, for this is not only do I talk to people about it, but I've actually read a few articles recently uh, that are advocating benchmarking. And uh, like I said, benchmarking is like barking up the wrong tree um, because there's some serious uh, flaws with that logic. And to help you kind of ex- uh, kind of explain this, um, let me let me share with you a couple of examples or analogies uh, that go along with this. Now, I don't know if you know when you were younger, uh, if you were like me, but you know when kids in the neighborhood would get a new toy. Uh, They would get, uh, you know, new clothes, maybe the most recent fashion uh, had come out and it's like, oh, you know, I need, I need that pair of pants. Um, 
when you would go back to your parents and, and kind of use this logic, uh, tell, me, tell me how well this worked for you, and you can kind of guess how well it worked for me. You know, Mom and Dad, Johnny down the street just got this new toy, and it's, the re- it's a cool toy, and all of the kids in the neighborhood have it, and so I need to have it as well. Or, hey, you know, Johnny just got this new pair of pants. They're the coolest thing. Everybody's wearing them. I need to get a pair of those pants too. And uh, if, if you had similar experiences as I did, eh, right, my parents did not buy me that toy or buy me that pair of pants just because everyone else was doing it. So one of the problems with benchmarking is that it's just a comparison uh, of you against other people. And sometimes comparisons are good, but there is a, a serious psychological comparison trap uh, that we can get into. And so again, just because somebody else is doing it or not doing it does not mean that is right for us. Now, let me use another example. Um, let's pretend, you know, again, that I, I need to purchase a new automobile. And so there's different ways that I can go about trying to determine the appropriate automobile for me. And so let's, again, if we go back to kind of a benchmarking idea, we could say, okay, well, based on my family size, maybe my age, uh, where I live, we could benchmark and determine that the average car or vehicle used in my particular area with the number of people in my family and, uh, you know, kind of where I live would equate to this particular automobile and I should only spend, let's say, thirty-five dollars or $40,000 on a vehicle and it should probably meet these particular characteristics. Now, that's again, if I just compare and benchmark with what everyone else is doing. Now, what's the problem with that? The problem with that is it actually doesn't take into account my particular needs, desires, uh, or the objectives that I may have. So as an example, let's pretend that I I go through that whole benchmarking uh, study and I find out that the average, you know, for, for my demographic, I should purchase a Toyota Camry uh, because that just happens to be what everybody else is doing. And I'm not, <laughs> it could be any other car. I'm just, I'm just naming one because one of my friends has a Toyota Camry, okay? Now, if I look at that and say, well, everybody else says, you know, based on benchmarking that I should purchase a Toyota Camry. The problem is a Toyota Camry does not do what I need it to do necessarily, right? And so I have to go back and actually look at my objectives. I have to look at my lifestyle, how much I drive, the kind of driving I do, uh, maybe the kind of recreational activities that I do, and try to come up with, based on that, the best options for me that are within my budget. And so as I told you, you know, I I like to go hiking and go out into the mountains and and do some of these other things as well. And so as because of that, that Toyota Camry may not be the best option for what I need to accomplish. And so again, if you're just using a benchmark or just trying to do what other people are doing, it's not necessarily going to fit 
into what it is that you need to do. Because really, you know, when you're trying to figure out the appropriate size for the internal audit department, it's got to be based on a lot of other things besides what others are doing. So you need to be considering things like, you know, the mission of your function. You know, what is it that your charter is actually asking you to do? What are some of the risks and expectations uh, that go on in your organization uh, to be able to determine what should be on your audit plan? How much, uh, you know, I mean, which of those items should you actually be looking at? What's the staffing that you need in order to be able to do that? There's a whole lot of other things that are there that you need to consider. And we're going to go through and talk a little bit about that here. Now, because this is a podcast, it's a shorter format episode, I really can't provide you with everything, uh, but I'm going to try to give you some tips to start thinking about. And for those of you that are actually, this is something that you're living and breathing, uh, and you, if you would like more information, reach out to me, because um, I'm happy to have a short call with you and just kind of talk about uh, some of the things specific to your organization and help you to be able to find a solution uh, to this challenge. Now, if we go back to benchmarking and, and kind of think about why so many people try to do this, um, I'm going to be, again, completely honest with you. At the beginning of my career, I was guilty of doing this. And let me explain maybe sometimes why people choose to take this kind of simple way of trying to determine, uh, you know, the resources that they should use. Because what ends up happening often is, you know, as a chief audit executive, you go to the audit committee and you have the meeting with them. And at the end, you have an executive session. Uh, you know, where at that point they look at you and they say, so Jason, do you feel like you have the resources that you need to be able to do your job? Well, when they ask kind of that open, that, that, that kind of a question, you know, a lot of times it's like, well, no, <laughs> because I, I could use more resources, right? And so when you start going down that path, then the next logical question they're going to ask is, well, how many more resources do you need or what else do you need? And at that point, if you haven't really done an evaluation to know for sure what it is that you need, um, you're kind of stuck with just coming up with a number or going back to that comparison trap where you say, well, you know, based on the size of the organization that we are, we really should have eight people in our department and we only have four. So I need four more people because everybody else that's kind of in, in my area, in our kind of business, would normally run an internal audit department off of eight people. Now, at that point, when you stop, they're probably not going to give you four more people and double the size of your audit shop. And so, again, if we go back to that, that analogy before of me going to my parents and saying, hey, Johnny has a new toy, I want one too, you're going to get the same kind of response from the audit committee. Well, that's nice that the other companies are doing this. I don't know if we can afford that or if we want to spend that much on it. Uh, and so usually you're kind of shot down. Now, again, like I said, I, I was guilty of that at the beginning of my career as well um, because it's really easy to, to say that, 
right? And to go out and purchase benchmarking studies and do some other stuff. And, and you know, there, there's great information in a lot of the articles out there about how to benchmark uh, so that you can come up with and kind of common size and figure out, you know, how you're different than some of the other companies to come up with some number. But like I said, again, the problem is that doesn't take into account what your organization may need from a risk perspective and from an expectation perspective uh, of the board and of senior management as well. So benchmarking, probably barking up the wrong tree. And so, like I said, it can become a slippery slope when you start to do that uh, because, again, there's, there's not kind of the value uh, attached with or associated with what you're actually doing, you're just benchmarking off of the averages of everybody else. So what happens then when the average goes down as everybody else starts cutting their audit departments, your audit department gets cut as well, okay? And so like I said, there's actually, there's better ways to go through and, and, and think about this. So let's go through now and actually kind of talk about some of the questions or things that you should consider, maybe a better way for you to do this that's actually more sustainable uh, and that helps you so that you don't have to constantly justify uh, every single year how many people you should have. Now, one of the things that you need to consider is the type of organization that you're working for. And, and so I'm just gonna give you again kind of some basic uh, guidance here. Um, but for example, if you work for a publicly traded company, your audit staff is probably going to be bigger than if you work for a privately held company because there are some additional requirements and expectations from the board and also from regulators on what a publicly traded company's internal audit department looks like than a privately held company. So ask yourself that question. Another one, you know, are we in a regulated industry or is this not really not a very regulated industry? So the more regulated your industry, again, the more expectations from your board and from outside stakeholders that you're going to have a larger internal audit department. So if you're privately held, relatively low regulation, you're always going to have a smaller uh, staff and smaller resources to deal with than if you're in a publicly traded, highly regulated industry. Now, another thing for you to consider is kind of the governance structure within the organization. Um, you know, how does governance work in your organization uh, from the board down as well into some of the, um, you know, first, second, and third line of defense sort of uh, positions that are in your organization? And so again, if you have a lot of second line of defense functions uh, that are doing a lot of that work with the first line group, the audit department of that company may be smaller, right? Because you're considering now the total assurance in the organization, some of which may be done by the second group uh, versus internal audit. That's another thing that you need to kind of figure out. So what, what is kind of the governance structure that we have going on there? Um, you should also take a look at your charter, right? And so the charter is kind of the agreement or expectations from the board and from senior management on what internal audit will do at your particular organization. So you need to be clear about understanding exactly what it is that they want you to do. Now, here's another thing that I will tell you. 
if the activities they're expecting of you are lower value activities. And so what I mean by a lower value activity can be things like checkbox compliance testing. That is going to have a much lower value to the organization uh, than some true risk-based strategic level projects that you would be working on with management. And so again, if, you're, if the expectation is you're gonna spend more of your time doing checkbox compliance, you're going to get fewer resources than if they see you as a valuable contributor and are asking you to, to be involved in some of the strategic and higher risk issues within the organization. So those are some things for you to consider. Now, next, you wanna take a look at, well, what are actually the risks and expectations of the organization? And so again, as you've gone through either the, the risk assessment that you've done to help create the audit plan, or look at the risk assessment done by your company or in conjunction with your company, look at what those risks are in the organization. You want to develop your audit plan based on the highest risks or those things that have the most impact to the organization. And everything on your audit plan should actually tie back to that, plus any compliance expectations that you may have from a regulatory standpoint. And so what I mean from that is, for example, a lot of times in financial services, especially in banking, some of the banking regulators may require you to do branch audits, a certain number of branch audits every single year. Now that may not be the highest risk to the organization, but if the, if the regulator is requiring it, someone has to do it. And so some of those things will also be included in your audit plan. You know, but again, from an expectation perspective, what is it that the board and what is it that senior management is expecting you to do? Because again, that is going to have a direct relationship back to the level of resources that they're willing to allocate to internal audit. So as you go through, and, and what I like to do is, as you're creating the audit plan, is you're actually assessing the different levels of risk and trying to associate uh, the audit projects that you're working on with those particular risks. And so the idea would be is you can actually go through and there's methodologies for kind of calculating uh, which projects have the biggest impact on the organization. And then if you sort your audit plan with the biggest, highest, most important things at, at the top, and then filter down, now what you can do is when you, when you go back and look at the amount of resources that you need to do each of those projects, you can start to get an idea based on your current staffing and resources, how many of those projects that you can do. And so I think a better way of doing it is that sort of a sorting, and then you draw a line. And the line means, you know, audit committee and senior management, this is all the resources that I have with my current staffing. So I'm just making up some numbers here to try to make it um, easy for you here as we're listening. But let's say that you have 30 items on your audit plan. But when you sort them, you realize you only have resources for, for the top 10. And so you, you sort that out, you draw the line under the 10th one, and then when you have the discussions, with the audit committee and with senior management, you can say, 
based on our current staffing, these are all the things we can do this next year. If you would like other things below that to be tested as well, now we can start to have an intelligent discussion about how many more resources that you need, right? Because if they look at it and say, well, we don't want you to just do the top 10, we want you to do the top 15. Once you, if you've gone through that exercise, now you can determine how many more resources would I need to complete those other five projects. Those could be internal resources that you hire new people. It could be outsourced, um, other things like that that you can do. But now at least you can have an intelligent discussion, which is different than Johnny just got a new toy, right? It's if you want me to do these other five things, it's going to require 10,000 hours of work, right? And so that equates to maybe five or six new people that you would need to hire as an example. That's going to get you a lot further than just doing the equivalent of Johnny just got a new toy from a benchmarking perspective. So again, as you've created the audit plan, you've sorted it based on uh, you know, the, the, the biggest impact to the organization. You've determined how much time you think it's going to take you to do each of, those, each of those projects. And then you can determine, again, based on your current level of staffing, your current budget, how many of those you would be able to do this next year. Uh, and then again, you can have that discussion on that. Now, another thing to think about too is, um, you know, a lot of people in, in the profession talk about adding value. We've got to add value. What's our value add? Well, if you're going to talk in terms like that, you also need to start creating a list of the value that you have already contributed to the organization. Because really, even though most people see internal audit as a cost center, we need to be thinking of internal audit as an investment center. No different than any other investment center uh, type of department in your organization. If the board and senior management is entrusting you with $2 million budget, you better get a return on that $2 million budget. And so again, as you're going through the year, you're doing the projects, you're seeing the savings uh, or, or risk avoidance to the organization, start keeping track of that list. Because again, at the end of the year, when you're going back and asking for more budget or, or looking at your resources for next year, then you can confidently say, look, you entrusted me with $2 million worth of resources. And at the, at, during this year, we provided $10 million of value to the organization. If I'm on the board or I'm a senior manager and I look at that and say, yep, that looks good. The analysis that you did, that makes a lot of sense. We invested $2 million and we got $10 million return on that. That's five times. That's a pretty good return on investment. And so again, as you can start to actually track that and be able to show the value that you're providing to the organization, that's going to make it much, much easier for you in the future as, again, you're trying to determine what's the right size of our internal audit. And again, if you think about it as an investment center, if you've invested, if they've invested $2 million in you and you've gotten a $5 million or $10 million return, if you ask for another million dollars and can return another $5 million in value, you're, you're going to be much more likely to actually have that additional million dollar in investment approved. 
And so again, don't think of yourself as a cost center. Think of yourself as an investment center and start actually keeping track of the value that you are actually providing. Now, we don't have enough time in this episode to get into all of that, so I'll have to do that on a future episode. Uh, but there are ways for you to be able to start calculating the value that you are providing to the organization. And I know sometimes that's in cost avoidance, um, but there are ways to do that. And the more that you can actually do that, the more valuable you will be seen to the organization as well. And you can move from their expectation or their view of you of just being a cost center to actually being an investment center uh, that is actually providing a return and a true value uh, to the organization. So that's probably a good time, a good place for us to wrap up for today. Uh, but again, you know, as you're trying to think about and determine the right amount of resources that you need uh, in your internal audit group or doing kind of a right sizing approach, uh, don't rely on benchmarking to be able to try to do that. Instead, you know, think about your organization, the governance structure that you have, who else is providing uh, some of these services, what are some of the expectations, again, from your charter and the mission uh, of your department, thinking about the risks to the organization and the expectations of senior management and the board, developing an audit plan that truly is risk-based so that when you sort it, you can determine exactly how many of those risks you can address uh, based on the resources that you have. So that way you can go back and have a more intelligent conversation if you need more resources, uh, or if again, if the board and senior management choose to give you more resources. The other thing that I didn't talk about before is sometimes when you have those discussions, they may look at it and say, yep, nope, the 10 is probably all that we need to do. We're okay with that. Well, at that point, don't go trying to fight for more resources. Because again, if your bosses, i.e. the board and senior management, have already told you they're comfortable with that level of risk, then that's what we need to be comfortable with as well. So go forth and continue rocking in the audit world. And uh, we'll see you on a future episode of Jammin' with Jason. Have a great rest of your day. And that's a wrap. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Jamming with Jason. Keep on rocking in the audit world. Have a great rest of your day, and I'll catch you later on the next show. If you'd like to earn continuing professional education for listening to today's episode, head on over to C-Risk Academy at ondemand.criskacademy.com. And that's C as in the letter C, riskacademy.com. Not only do you get a CPE certificate, but you also will have access to the video version of today's show. The views and opinions expressed on this show are that of the individuals and not of their respective organizations.